we can visualize a specific future that we desire and then work the information backward to make us today what we need to be to achieve that future but that okay that but that sounds that sounds insane so how <laughs> how are you how are you doing that this interview was filmed in a stage talk at Mind Valley University by the spiritual physicist Nassim Haramin watch it because it's controversial yes and you don't have to agree with everything Nassim says but some of his ideas might absolutely fascinate you Nassim said this, spirituality is nothing more than physics we have yet to find an equation for. Love him or disagree with him, Nassim Haramin is worth listening to. Check this out. Hi Nassim, firstly I want to say it's such an incredible honor to have you here at Mind Valley University in Tallinn. Thank you, it's an honor to be here. And for those of you who don't know the background of this, Nassim got on stage and delivered six hours of, inc of an incredible workshop to some 650 Mind Valley students here at Kulturi Kartel in Tallinn, Estonia. And it was amazing. And so let's start with this question. What is consciousness to you? Um, to me, consciousness is the fundamental information structure of the universe. Uh, information moving through its cycles, um, feed forward, feedback information throughout the whole network of creation that produces complexity like a hundred trillion cell human being that eventually becomes self-aware. Uh, it's something fundamental to creation and it's occurring everywhere and it's occurring in the chair, it's occurring in the table and it's occurring in us. So what makes us different then from a chair or a table? if consciousness is everywhere? The structure and the complexity of the information in us um, reach a level in which we became self-aware. We, like all the minerals and the water, like we're big sacks of water right. with minerals in it, um, kind of got together in, in a particular way with particular level of complexity that made us um, uh, have a bog rate so high, like have so much information moving through that we eventually became aware that we were aware. So that leads to an interesting question, right? Which is, which came first? Did consciousness come first and then consciousness create the universe, thus God mm -hmm. or universal energy or mm -hmm. universal intelligence? Or did the universe start and then consciousness emerge from the universe? What, what is your view? Um, my view is that uh, whenever you have a chicken or an egg problem, right. it's most likely both. Um, that is, there's no, the, the concept of a beginning and an end is a human concept. Uh, in fact, in the universe, we haven't seen any such thing ever, meaning we don't see protons just disappearing, uh, going away. We don't see energy just disappearing. We don't see information just disappearing. We just see things going through cycles. So, um, so the idea that there was a beginning and there will be an end is really a linear concept that we've made up. Um, the universe is probably, and this is something, when I discovered this, I was, um, I was alone in, in a van for some five years and uh, it was the conclusion of some uh, approximately four years into it. 
of, of writing physics and studying and all this. And, and I, I had to actually stop researching for a while because it took me a while to be able to deal with that concept, to, to, um, to integrate. I don't think that it's consciousness creating matter or matter creating consciousness. In fact, when you study matter, you have a hard time finding something like like a billiard ball you call a particle or something you just see field interaction you just see information exchange and so really i think it's just a it's a feedback for a feedback and wow. feed forward loop right. that continues to infinity right I've, i've never thought about it this way so even if so in other words it's an irrelevant question mm-hmm. because if the big bang started and matter was produced by the Big Bang. Matter is ultimately energy. That energy has a form of consciousness because energy contains information. And since time doesn't exist at that consciousness plane, that consciousness can ex- extend its existence back beyond the Big Bang. Yeah, or you can think of the Big Bang coming from an earlier Big Bang, coming from an earlier Big Bang. I mean, it's constantly banging. And, and could, but now, if that consciousness could extend itself back to the point of origin of the Big Bang, could that consciousness then direct the Big Bang and evolve itself? Okay, but uh, yes. I, the, the difficulty there is that when you use the terminology consciousness, it's typically undefined. You know, what, right. what do you mean by consciousness? Um, you know, in a dictionary, it's defined as something like a, a level of self-awareness but uh-huh. um so so are you saying that the universe is self-aware i believe so i think it is i think it's self-aware at all levels but what is self-awareness what is the mechanics of that like this is this is the key to understanding what we mean when we say consciousness otherwise we basically replace the word God from religions right. to consciousness, which right. doesn't say much more. So in order for systems to self-organize, in order for matter to come to be, in order for matter to organize in such a way that it produce the complexity of a human being with a, a thousand billion billion chemical change every second, a million cell division every mm-hmm. second, all this stuff that's happening for you to be alive right now, In order for that to happen, there must be feedback in the system. It has to be able to learn about itself because under random functions, it doesn't happen. Like if you do the math, right. uh, if the universe is completely random, there's no way, not even microbial life would be here at this point. I mean, it, it, the complexity is so high. So, so, but if you have feedback, then the complexity occurs very rapidly. And um, what I'm asking is, This feedback loop, okay, let's say the, 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 the evolution of our species, mm-hmm. this feedback loop, mm-hmm. can it extend backwards in time and, and improve itself? Yes. In other words, what I'm saying is can consciousness go back in time and direct its own self-evolution? Right. I mean, there's another few key concepts there that have to be put in place. For instance, when you say the word time, you know, what, what do you mean by that? It's, right. it's, it's a, comple- a complex concept in, in physics even. Um, you know, it's undefined really in physics. What is time? Do you mean tick, tick, tick on the clock? What, what do you mean? And so I actually changed this terminology from, and I modified Einstein. Sorry, Einstein. I'm sure he's happy with it. 
Um, but I modified space-time to space-memory because no memory, ah, no right. time. You know, if you can't remember what happened before, you don't know that there's a linear function of time, that there's a linear arrow of time. And if time is fundamental to the universe, that means memory is fundamental to the universe. And that means that information is embedded on the structure of space. And this is actually the root of the question you're asking. That is, information is embedded on the structure of space as the dynamic of space happens, meaning as things happen in the universe, it leaves imprints of what has happened before that makes it appear to be a linear structure of time, evolution. It leaves imprints, right. Yes. So this means the, the, any species that's evolving into its next version mm -hmm. already knows the version it's going to become. Mm -hmm. So it's in a way self-directed. It is. It's self-directed fundamentally from the universal level. And that's why it's, it's organized, meaning the universe didn't make a bee on another planet somewhere and the flower on this one because they would never meet and it would be terrible. But they, it puts it on the same planet, right? right. right? Okay, so, so that, that, that's, that, that, that's a really interesting idea. Um, and, so, and so guys, I know we, we went into a completely different direction, but it's an intriguing direction. So now, now the question is, can our consciousness go back into our timeline and correct things? Can we is there a way or is there um, um, a method you found where one's human consciousness can, can somehow influence the trajectory from the time that human being is born and influence our, our future into now directly? Yeah, I think, I think we do it all the time. I mean, I think we, that's what we do. We modify the past to produce an the next moment in our future. So we modify our past to produce the next moment in our future. In our future. And, and that leads as well to the possibility of modifying our future to, uh, to produce a specific occurrence in our present um, so that we can visualize a specific future that we desire and then work the information backward to make us today what we need to be to achieve that future. Well, um, that's a very interesting way of, of observing what people call the law of attraction. Right, uh, but it, it's, it's a deeper level of it because now you start to get the mechanics on how you can get it to do right. Yeah, and so it's really important. Um, I mean, that's the base of psychology, isn't it? That uh, you think of your past, you discuss your past, and certain events of your past with someone else that might give you a different optics on it, maybe give you some suggestion on how you can experience that moment that happened in the past in a different way. And when you do, then that has a forward impact on your present, which will influence your future. Um, so yeah, I totally believe we influence the past because the past is really information on the structure of, of, of space that we have left like a, like a record on the electromagnetic fields of space in, in space-time, literally. Uh -huh. um, and I mean it literally, just like information on the CD-ROM that's been laid on the, electromag on the magnetic uh, structure or on the optic structure of the, of the CD-ROM. So 
it really, um, it really um, changes the view that we have of um, past, present, and future uh, because it puts it in the context of information. So we're in a particular timeline of yeah. self-awareness right now. Yes. And what you're saying is our consciousness has the potential to influence our past, mm -hmm. thus evolving our timeline. That's right. But if it did so, we wouldn't realize it, would we? Because we would be in a different timeline. Right. Well, we basically have, we, we would realize it because by the time you've made the modification mm -hmm. and changed your timeline, you still have a link to that moment before when you were someone else. And that's what makes your evolution. So it is the same timeline. It's just that you're feedback, feed forwarding, forwarding to that moment that keeps changing. And that makes up your timeline. So that, 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 that's so intriguing. And at the same time, we can move our consciousness into the future. Yes. Through what? Through visualization? Through thoughts of the future? Yes. Through, um, you know, so, so think of, first of all, you're laying information on the structure of space-time because you're never in the same coordinates in space-time uh, every billionth of mm -hmm. a second. You're moving in coordinates in space-time, literally. Like you're on the Earth. You're, this, right. The Earth is spinning around the Sun. The Sun is spinning around the galaxy. So you're making a huge spiral in space, right? right? So within a year, you're billions and billions of kilometers away from where you were last year in space. And you've laid information on that spiral all the way through. And that's still linked to you. It's, it's entangled with you. So you can go backwards and visualize the past, but you can, and, and that's what you call your memory, by the way. That's why they can't find it in the brain. It's because it's not in the brain. It's, you're like an antenna tuned into that set of information. Okay. So, so, so firstly, this is, this is intriguing. To help you understand the spiral, I'm going to play a short video clip that shows the visualization of how you as an entity are moving through space-time. It really is as a spiral. Mm -hmm. You'll see because the Earth's going around the sun, and the sun itself is moving. So, okay, so that again opens so, up a whole can so of worms. So you do, you're doing a spiral. So now you can, you can visualize what the spiral is going to be forward in right. time. And you can visualize what you'd like to be like at a certain moment of time. You can, you could lay that information on the structure of time forward in those coordinates okay. and, and that will have a backward impact from that moment, that future moment, to your present and start changing your present to achieve that result in that future moment. So, so the point of our, so point consciousness, the point of our consciousness in this particular time is able to influence our future, but also influence our past. That's right. And this is another way, that's, and I know personal growth philosophers call this law of attraction or thoughts creating reality. So you accept that idea? Absolutely, in the context of the mechanics of the physics that I okay. just described. But let's go deeper because this is really interesting because we, we, a lot of us watching would, I'd say 99% of the people watching believe that their thoughts of the future will influence their future. And you described it in a, in a particularly beautiful way, taking into account what we know about quantum physics. But what I think is a, is, a, is a harder concept to grasp is how our thoughts of the past can influence the present. If, if their memory imprint on the structure of space, they're still there. Each moment, each 
Planck seconds, which is 10 to the minus 24 seconds. Can I, can, can, can one be trained to go back in time? To Absolutely. influence childhood memories and childhood events so that say, today, mm -hmm. we have higher self-esteem or we have more confidence? Absolutely, I, I, I totally believe that. And again, it's the... It's have, the you, have you done it? Yes, I have and I've trained people to do it and I got amazing results in Can you, some is, cases. So, is, so this sounds really intriguing. Is this something you could share with us? Um, sure, I, uh, at one point, uh, I lived with two young, beautiful little girls that were, you know, the daughters of my partner. And um, they were making fun of my nose all the time because I had a larger bump on my nose. Right. And um, I made a very um, bold statement one night at supper time. I told them that I would change my nose by morning and uh, by morning time and they just start laughing and they said what you gonna go and get plastic surgery tonight or you know and they were making fun of me and I, I said I'll, I'll bet you uh, that I can do it so they gathered they they broke their guinea pig uh, their no their um, their piggy bank their piggy bank and they gathered like twenty dollars and something and bet me everything they had that I couldn't change my nose and uh, I thought it was cute. So I, I, um, I worked that night uh, in my meditation at going backwards. And so you can follow the spiral backwards of your timeline. And eventually, if you go far enough, you'll end up in the belly of your mom where you were. <laughs> and that'll connect you to the spiral of your mom. Um, and uh, since your dad was in your mom for a few minutes right. <laughs> uh, when you were conceived, then you can connect to that spiral as well. Right. And so you can go backwards into the spirals. And, and I did. I, I went backwards into the spirals um, as far as I could see um, and found the gene that produced that larger bump on my nose. <laughs> Uh, and I modified it. I, I put an intent of changing the information there. Right. And it had a forward effect that was so dramatic that when I, when I walked into the kitchen in the morning for breakfast, the, the girls started screaming and walked out the door. <laughs> they were scared of me. Because your nose had... Changed. My nose had changed. Yeah. But that okay. That but that sounds that sounds insane. So how <laughs> how are you how are you doing that? What? It, it was a little while. Okay. I didn't think it was going to work long, that how well. How long in meditation did that take? Mm, a good hour, maybe an hour and a half. I a don't good remember. hour and a half. Yeah. And and is that a technique that you can teach people? Yes. Um, I think in general, people naturally can do it because it's a physical occurrence that's occurring like every second in their day. So it's actually the way things work. So people naturally can visualize it when they have the right mechanics, when they understand the mechanics. Uh, it's natural for people to be able to, to visualize it and go backwards. And it, it really, it literally, for me anyway, looked um, like a thread through space, like a crystal thread through space, like, um, like a geometric mm -hmm. crystal thread. And, uh, and I could see, for instance, moment of 
trauma in my life and so on. I could see the thread being fractured or, uh, you know, being more opaque in those those regions. And, um, and, And I could see that I could, by changing the angles of the crystals, by changing the vectors, in the crystals, I could I could repair the thread. I could I, I could make it more consistent, more crystalline, more more translucent. So, so you're visualizing the thread, and and I believe you're setting an intention mm-hmm. to see a representation of trauma or a representation of anything that's something you might might want to fix yeah. as a distortion in the crystal. Right. But I'm guessing someone who's doing this could ask for any other sort of representation. They could ask for a representation in terms of color or anything else. Right, because it's the subconscious mind that's delivering that. Maybe, yeah, maybe you could vi- you could see the the change in colors. I mean, there was definitely, from what I could visualize, what I can visualize a change in um, in opas op- opacity. Uh, opacity, um, you know, like more right. um, where there was more trauma, the crystal looked more opaque than uh, where it was. Uh, more smooth and more translucent. So there might be color change you could you could see as well. I think that it's not so much what you intend to see, but it's just trying to link into the to the thread and just experiencing it. You know, following the thread and experiencing right. it. How often do you do that? How often do you go back and rewrite your past to shape your current your present reality? Well, I I think do we you just do it to make twenty bucks from. Little kids? <laughs> no, uh, but uh, I, um, I definitely, I think that we do it naturally, continuously, um, on a micro level, meaning right. we do little things like we keep thinking about things that we did this morning or things that we did, you know, yesterday or and so right. on, and we're constantly kind of massaging it, and it's changing us in the moment, or and even- it. Or, or, or even personal growth modalities like rescripting, thinking about a past trauma or abuse mm-hmm. and rescripting. Mm-hmm. You're that's, saying that that's a that that that's a micro change right. in what we'll experience. Exactly, today. like maybe we had a rough morning. Right. You know, um, the kids were sick. We couldn't get to work. You know, then there was traffic. You know, maybe we had a rough morning, and we arrive at work, and maybe we're in a bad mood or we're having a difficult time. And maybe we stop for a second, and we decide we're we're not going to continue. You're going to reframe it. We're going to reframe all right. this. And so when you do that, basically you're changing the information in the past, right? In that right. morning, so that you're having a different experience of the same event. So that wow. you know, right? So that that's that's bizarre, but it's <laughs> but it's it's so intriguing. It's um, profound. I think it has profound meaning. In and, our and, and I think the, 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 the one thing that the audience needs to grasp, mm-hmm. which, which is, might be slightly challenging, is the concept of, of time, or as you call it, space memory. Right. That time doesn't exist, that we as homo sapiens perceive time as we, being linear, but right. time is happening all the time, everywhere. Everywhere, at the same time. And that links very much with many of the ancient cultures, um, you know, tradition, the Western, um, you know, the Eastern traditions and all this that talk about every moment being present, you know, that there's only presence. And and so, yeah, there's only presence because every moment is just information on on the structure of space. So 
every bit of information is a present in that in that coordinates in right. space-time and all these presents one after the other makes up a linear concept right. of time. And, and, and it reminds me of that time. So many of you watching may have heard of Neil Donald Walsh and Neil Donald Walsh in his books Conversations with God talks about a similar concept. Um, the idea that time doesn't exist, right? right? That we exist all at once, all the time. And all he the does time. it in, in, in the concept, in the metaphorical concept of conversing with the universe, with God. Now, what was really interesting is one of the most fascinating, if not the most fascinating dinner I ever had was when Nassim and Neil <laughs> were at dinner together with me um, and some of my friends and observing them talking about this. Neil Donald Walsh, the spiritual philosopher, Nassim, the scientist. It was <laughs> one of the first times in my life I was just sitting there, quiet, not able to interject anything. But it was amazing to see how you're coming from a science angle, Neil's coming from a spiritual angle, and both you guys can We can arrive connect. at the same place. Right. That's so, why I told him that uh, the God that's, that he was having conversation with is probably a good physicist. <laughs> brilliant, right? And, and right. I remember you were, you were telling Neil that you thought it was brilliant how in his writing he takes complex physics and he simplifies it into right. something so easy that's to understand. Right. Yeah. Now, why I'm, why I'm bringing this up is because a good interview to listen to after this one, a good session, is the one I had with Neil Donald Walsh. It's also part of the same program. Listen to that. And um, it's, it's a good follow-up because it'll go deeper on this topic. Mm -hmm. So we spoke about influencing the past with mm -hmm. our mind. Right. What about influencing the future? Right. So influencing the future, um, so you can imagine you are going to lay information on the structure of space-time as you move through space to a specific future. Those, those coordinates in space that you're going to move mm -hmm. to, they're going to be defined by your movement in the space from this moment to that moment in the future. And those movements you do in the structure of space are going to be defined by your actions, how you do things, what you do, and how you do them, and how you feel about yourself and everything else. So you can imagine that you can lay a set of information in the future, an intent of a specific uh, outcome in the future, and then and that space-time then would have to, um, to coordinate all the moments in between that moment and your current present to make that specific event occur. So, you, so it would start changing the information backwards to your present and that would change your present. So, so you would become um, what you need to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it gives you an idea of a deeper understanding of, of how to produce or how to, to create a specific outcome. So Nassim, next question, multiverses. Let's say me and my son Hayden have different intentions for the future, right. okay? And I want to live in Spain. He wants to end up living in London. Uh -huh. Now, what happens in that scenario if we are both directing our thoughts towards this reality? Does the universe split? And he ends up with a version of me in London, and I end up with a version of him in Spain. Um, okay, well, you know, I actually don't believe that. I, I believe that the universe resolves uh, 
always to the highest energy level. And so, and so that's why when you intend something in the future, right. um, it typically doesn't occur exactly how you had intended it, right? Maybe you intended, intended to have this uh, wonderful red Camaro and right. you end up with you know some like a Camaro but it's a blue one or right. you know and 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 you learn to learn to well, love blue Camaros instead of red ones because that's, all our consciousness are influencing a shared future that's right and this is why we cannot choose to win the lottery that's right or choose to turn down the heat on the sun because it's too hot today because the guy in Alaska would freeze, right? Right. right. So, so they, we have a com common. Uh, we live in a common universe, a common reality, and so the universe resolved to the highest energy level. And so, group consciousness is playing a role over here. Exactly. That's why group consciousness can have a large influence. If that's in that's that's very interesting, and I can see how can this this can have implications in organizations as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for those of you listening, I predict that within ten years business management experts will be talking about group consciousness in organizations, people meditating together and setting intentions together for the products and the services they want to bring to the market. Mm -hmm. If you want to explore that topic as part of this consciousness engineering program, check out my conversation with Reagan Hillier. She's a 28-year-old entrepreneur who has brought this into a company, and she talks about what happens when you have an entire company practicing group consciousness at the start of every month. So, so back to group consciousness. So this is intriguing. Now, now, how can we as human beings use group consciousness to create a better shared future? Well, and that's the thing. So you can imagine that um, you can think of these uh, sets of information, and you can call it in the morphogenetic field of the planet, uh, as uh, group intentions, you know, collective behavior that coordinates toward a, a very specific future. And you can become aware of which group you're participating in. You can become aware of which thread, which mm -hmm. information thread, which energy you are participating in, and then increase your influence in this particular direction uh, for the planetary evolution, uh, for the global social evolution. And so it has, uh, it becomes very conscious uh, engineering of, um, of the global evolution as an individual participating in it. Now, is group consciousness always moving us forward in the most efficient path? Because, I mean, we see examples of horribly dangerous group consciousness. I mean, let's look at what happened with Nazi Germany, right? right? In the 1940s. Yes. Um, so group consciousness isn't always aligned along the best and most ideal path, is it? Right. It can be quite self-destructive. And it can be hijacked. Absolutely. And, and it has been uh, in our society right now, definitely, towards a very specific outcome. Well, give us, give us an example. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, you know, in our current society, there's been a very strong capacity to influence global awareness um, by, you know, producing very specific 
information sets in our media and the way we think right. of things and so on. And there's been a huge influence on the group consciousness right. of if our you look planet at, that way. Right. If, if you look at, for example, the, um, the mass amounts of um, media ad spend on influencing politics, uh, yes. right now that, I was just speaking to some um, IT experts here uh, who are studying this field and the number is five billion. Five billion dollars are spent by political parties influencing human behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is just in the United States alone. Mm -hmm. And of that five billion, the vast majority is on the right. The left really is quite incompetent at using that. <laughs> um, yes. At least that's what these IT experts are saying. But five uh -huh. billion dollars is being spent to sway the group consciousness of Americans. Right, sure. So, so that's one way that you can look at it in, in a grosser way. But, uh, but it, you have to uh, make a distinction there because you're, you know, when you use the terminology, not the most efficient way or destructive way. You know, we go through very important phases of evolution, very important moments of, of growth. And these moments of growth are not always pretty. Right. You know, they're not always nice. They're, they might be difficult moments. And, and that's when we grow the most. So, so in a, for instance, in a certain instant, we can look at a certain moment in our history and say that was a horrible moment. Um, but, that, but, but if you look on a longer timeline, on a longer evolutionary thread, you can see that that moment was really critical for us to learn very critical lessons. Is that so? Right. So, so, so the reason I'm, I'm pressing on that point is because we are here in the city of Tallinn and the reason I brought up Nazi Germany is because mm -hmm. this city was invaded by the Nazis, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of people killed, mm -hmm. and then the Soviets invaded mm -hmm. to fight the Nazis. Mm -hmm. They killed 300,000 people and they bombed and destroyed one third the city. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think to the average Estonian living here, including my family, we lost family members. We had, mm -hmm. um, we, we, we had great grandparents murdered, their bodies never found. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. How do we see the good in that? Well, that's the thing. If you can't see the good in that, then there's a good chance you're going to repeat it <laughs> because then there will be, you know, frustration, anger, all kinds of things that you're pulling along with that thread. But, but surely but, we, can, we can forgive. I mean, um, right? I mean, today here in Tallinn, you get people from all around the world. We have World War II memorials, but how can we see the good in I, what happened during World War II when our people were killed? I think the only way you can forgive at the deepest level is to understand the lesson that it gives us ultimately, right? If, if, if you want to forgive at the deepest level some of the horrible thing that has happened in, either in history or in your current lifetime, you know, somebody might have got raped, they might have got you know, beat up or whatever, like to, if we're able to forgive at the deepest level and, uh, you know, in my life, in my childhood, I had some very traumatic moments that I had to go through that exercise with, um, I think is to see the, the, the lessons that even if I was a victim at the time, meaning I was a child, I didn't mm -hmm. know what was going on. Um, what was necessary in these moments for me to be who I am today. If right. I'm able to do that individually or globally, meaning 
uh, right. in, in the history, right. then I'm able to completely let go and of any feeling of resentment or you know anger and, and frustration relative to those moments. Then I extract the lesson from the information set. And so, and so moments in history, information on the structure of space-time, uh, as a result of a global evolution towards higher level of consciousness, will most likely involve moments that are not beautiful, that are not pretty, that are very difficult. But if we can see the larger context, then I think we can, we can totally see the beauty, even in those moments. So, so if consciousness from the future is going back and writing history as it moves along, mm -hmm. what you're saying is that, that consciousness has a plan. And sometimes in the process of writing this history, there is a beautiful destruction, to use the terminology from my book, that is created to create a more beautiful future. That's right. And from the perspective of the people on that timeline, World War II, or even further back, the Mongol invasion of, of the Muslim Empire in mm -hmm. um, 1220, mm -hmm. those things are horrible times. Yes. However, as much suffering as happens over here, and while we should not, we, we, we should not forget that suffering, right. and we or, should or remember it. Oh, yeah. the suffering, right. there is a, a, a positive path forward that's going to emerge from that, and that's we should right. trust that positive path forward. Exactly. For There's example, World War II um, led to the creation of the European Union, mm -hmm. and this new borderless society that we are in right now. Right, right. And you know, it, you, it, it, it begs a deeper question and a deeper answer, which is, is there evil? You right. know, is, is this such a thing as evil? And I, and I've always, because I've been asked that question many times, mm -hmm. I've always answered, um, absolutely not. You know, no baby is ever born evil. Right. You know, like you don't have, uh, it's not a fundamental yeah. structure of the universe that there is evil, but there's evolution. And so there's shades of gray, right? There's, there's, a, there's shades of gray. And so, um, you know, there's, there's levels of confusion and there's, levels of awareness, you know, and, they, and they're, they're related to each other in that in order to reach higher levels of consciousness, le le higher levels of awareness, there is certain moments of, you know, deep uh, darkness that, right. that occurs along the way so that the, that the light can shine through them. Okay, but this, this opens up another can of worms, mm -hmm. right? What this, what this means when you say you don't believe there is evil. And by the way, this, this is not an unusual statement. Neil Donald Walsh, um, I'm bringing back Neil because we, we all know each other. In his famous book, The Little Soul and the Sun, which is actually a children's book, suggests something similar, right? One of the phrases he uses is, in the words of God, I have sent you nothing but angels. Everyone who has abused you, who have hurt you, was an angel in disguise helping you get to the next level of your evolution. Now, it's, right. it's, it's a hard idea to grasp. You've got to read this book. Um, it's a 30-minute read. But, and it's an uncomfortable idea. You can tell if you're watching this that I'm feeling uncomfortable right now mm -hmm. because I know the suffering that my, my wife's family experienced during World War II. And to think that there was a greater plan for that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but it's of part, course. I guess it's, it's, it's part of us understanding. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't undermine the, you know, the tragedy and the difficulty that people went through and, and the suffering that they went through. It just, it just says that this led to actually a growth in human awareness, in human consciousness. So actually, it's, it extracts from it uh, the, the beauty, uh, the sacrifice, these, these events and these people experience for us to be where we are today. So this brings us to another understanding that whether Obama is the president or Trump is the president, there is a plan and a design in everything. And so, it, on an individual base, I mean, for me, when I remember these principles, when I, even in times of darkness, meaning when I'm having a, lot, a hard time, if I remember these principles, then even in the moments when I'm feeling down or I'm having a really hard day or a hard time, I can remember, okay, this is gonna, what is the lesson? Where is this bringing me? Why is this? coming in my life and why am I experiencing this because there must be a higher purpose for me to experience this there must be something I need to learn right right now what would be your advice for the human race okay let's say let's say a billion people were watching this and we wanted to come together using group consciousness to create a better future for the human species and for all life on earth what would be your advice how do we better direct our evolution as a species and as a planet? Um, I think, um, for me, I mean, just because of what I do, so I'm going to give you an answer that would be right. a little more technical because of what I do. I would love if I could get a billion people on the planet to visualize us being able to birth um, uh, over unity technology into the world that is uh, devices that like what technology over unity technology into over the, unity technology. yeah yeah what is over unity technology over unity technologies um, technology that extracts energy directly from the structure of space-time that is right. it creates more energy than it takes to run them so is that similar to zero-point field energy yeah exactly and it um, and it extracts the energy from the so-called zero-point energy field um, 
did is the structure of space-time is fluctuating with right. information, with energy, and we can extract that energy. Now we've succeeded, many inventors have succeeded around the world, but we've failed at bringing it into the public so far because of various political and financial interests. And so I would love for a billion people to put their intent in right. the free the over unity technology entering the world. So, um, so, so, so let's talk about that because that's fascinating as well. Zero point field energy or over unity and uh, or over unity energy. It's the idea that within space time, within space, in this tiny, this tiny little bit of space in between my fingers, there's a massive amount of energy right. that's just sitting there. Exactly enough energy to run the world in that little... But we can't extract it yet. Actually... You're saying we can? Yeah, inventors have been capable of doing it for quite a bit of time. So, so why aren't those inventions coming forth? Um, it has been... Um, uh, it's been arrested or slowed down significantly because of special interests and other forms of energy like oil and, and right. natural gases and so on. And as well because um, humanity, and, and so that's one level of analyzing the, the, the history, but as well, and because I mean since Tesla we were on our way to having this kind of technology, uh, but as well because if Tesla would have succeeded or the inventors after mm -hmm. him, I don't think humanity was ready for it. In what, what was so we're talking here about Nikola Tesla. Uh, <laughs> for those of you watching, not Tesla cars. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're talking about Nikola Tesla. Uh, I believe he died in 1933. Yeah. Some, uh, sometime around there. Yes. But what did he do to prove zero point field energy, um, or, he, or to show it, that it was extractable? Well, he he succeeded partially at extracting some of it, or to at using this field. Uh, that he described as well, um, outside the context of zero-point energy as classically described in physics, but um, he used it to transmit in, uh, energy uh, without cables. Uh, he had multiple right. inventions uh, in which he was interacting with this field, or he believed he was yeah. interacting. And he certainly birthed uh, a whole um, investigation into the possibility of extracting that energy from the field. And, and people might think, well, how does that And he prove? came close, right? But then he, he died in poverty. Right. Even in, he, 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 for those of you who don't know, invented radio. It was credited to Guglielmo Marconi, but Tesla first theorized radio. Yeah, correct. And he, Tesla invented almost most of the things we have in modern right. uh, technology today, um, some over 900 patents and, um, you know, the alternative um, uh, uh, the, current, the AC and, current and, and, and right. so on. But as well, he, he um, you know, remote controls, all this stuff. Right. But he, he as well invented many things at, you know, at one point in his life that went against um, the social and economical interests right. of his funders and the people around him, and so he was um, he was stopped uh, yeah. literally, and 
And he lost everything. He was sued. He died in poverty. He died in poverty, It, almost unknown. Right. Uh, and in, his name was revived only in the right. last few decades by, by Elon Musk, who yeah. named the Tesla car after him. Right. So, 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 so let's go in a different, in a different direction. But let's talk about connection for a moment. Well, that's the thing is when you when you try to. Uh, describe the physical world at the deepest level. You always run into this problem where you have to try to isolate the system that you're analyzing. And when you do, when you, you, when you theoretically isolate it, you lose something. You can't understand the system at its most fundamental level if it's isolated. And that led me to write physics in which systems are not isolated, but they're connected. Right. And when I did that, when I showed that the proton, the nuclear of atoms, are actually all connected across the whole universe, um, and, and I extracted how the information is exchanged um, in this field of information, um, I got the right answer. I got the right answer for the mass of the proton, the radius of the proton, very, very, very precisely more precise than any other theory on the planet today. Um, and, and the standard model is off by 4%. So, so it's, it's a long shot away from how precise what I was able to extract. And so it says that everything is connected. Everything is entangled. All particles are entangled. Everything is in this metric of space that connects everything together. And, uh, and what we call energy, what we call mass, what we call gravity, what we call electromagnetic fields is actually different modality on how the information is moving. If it's moving in, we call it gravity. If it's moving out, we call it electromagnetic field and so on. And, uh, and so it really gives us a different picture of the universe. And it gives us a, a picture of the universe in which it starts to make sense, that it would self-organize, that, that consciousness would emerge from it, that, that, um, that, uh, that systems would have high level of relationship and complexity and produce biospheres. Um, so that according to this view, not only everything is connected, but life should be teeming all over the universe. Wow. Yeah. Now, speaking of gravity, I know you're doing some work on anti-gravity. Yes, I, I don't call it like that. I call it gravity control because anti-gravity would be like saying anti-light. Right. You know? So what? Gravity but gra control. Gravity control. Tell us, tell us briefly, because this is so fascinating. I know we've had this conversation before, but tell us briefly about what you're doing with gravity control. Well, um, the equations I wrote says something very specific about gravity. Um, gra Einstein describe gravity um, as in general relativity by describing space-time as being curved in a region of space where there's energy or mass. So, so if you put a mass on a trampoline, it will curve the surface and another mass will appear to be attracted because the surface is curved. That's how Einstein described it. But he never said what space-time was made of. That, so, At the fundamental level, we still don't know what gravity is. My equations show that actually space-time is made of these little grains, these fluctuations of space-time, pixels of space-time, 
bits of information. And mm. these bits of information, when they rotate together, when they're coordinated in their rotation, produce curvature. Just like the surface of water going down the drain in your bath uh -huh. appears to be curved and a, ro a rubber ducky would orbit there, right? right? But it's only curved because all the water molecule, the bits of water, right. are rotating in that region of space. Right. That's what I discovered. And so you can imagine that very quickly you can go towards engineering a curvature in space. You can, you can think, if I can couple to the space, to those bits of information, and get them to rotate, in this region curvature. of space, I can create curvature. And thus you create gravity. Then I can control gravity. You can control gravity. Yeah, and which now, is now, the and, next and how step do you curve space-time? I know you told me it's about, it's about plasma. Yeah, so, you, so how are you going to couple to space-time? Right. Well, um, plasma, which is some 99% of the universe, is plasma. Um, and, and, and plasma is one of the states of matter. Yeah, it's like a highly energized state of gas. Um, you can um, get it in a certain state in which uh, it, it starts to couple to space-time. And, and in that state, if you rotate it at very high velocity, space-time will start to orbit in that region of space and you will start curving space-time. So since 1999, I've been doing experiments. Taking plasma, rotating plasma at rapid velocity to curve space-time. Exactly. What, what was the result? Well, I've got really good results so far, um, and so I'm on my way, but I have not been able to finish. To get it to the next level. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing that right now. Now, if we were to, if decades from now, we were able to fully harness the power of, of, of um, plasma rapidly rotating and curving space-time, what would that look like to the human species? What would that allow us to do? Okay, well, so it's not going to be decades from now. It's going to be um, in the next 10 years. Right. And um, I'm not the only one working on it. NASA is working on it. And, you know, Sonny White at NASA is being somewhat successful at, with it as well. And other laboratories around the world. What it will it look like? It will look like what you think of uh, when you think of spaceships. Uh, so we're talking about it'll give us the warp drive. It will give us a warp drive, exactly. Wow. It will allow us to travel at least through our solar system, most likely inside our galaxy even, and maybe across galaxies in our universe. And, um, and it's not far off. I mean, and it's the next important evolution in, human, in okay. humankind. So, so, so it gives us the warp drive. So we now are able to control gravity. Mm -hmm. So if at a lower cost, send at a lower cost than even SpaceX, send cargo and spaceships to space. Yeah. But yeah. what about time? What about the distance between us and our closest stars? I mean, that's still a, a lot of light years. I don't know the exact number. Right. Well, it will allow us to have cars that levitate. It will, you know, gravity control will change right. everything we do. So you will be able to go to Jupiter for the weekend and come back. But how long would that trip take? Um, well, to Jupiter, not very long. Um, you know, the so it's not just gravity control, but it's, it's, it's acceleration. Acceleration, very high level of acceleration with no, um, no G-force, um, no inertia, inertial force inside and, the craft. And would we be able to break the speed of light? Um, 
or approach I think the speed of light? Exceed the speed of light. I That's 186,282 miles per second. Right. Um, I believe it will. Uh, it will in... So you think we can exceed light speed? Yes. So what you're saying, Nassim, is that the intersection of these two technologies, um, gravity control and harnessing energy from the zero point field, will really create this spectacular new age of Star Trek for humanity. Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned Star Trek. All of our technology we have today was in, um, was in science fiction long right. before it was invented and right. discovered. I mean, in Star Trek, you guys remember the, the um, what's it called, the tricorder? Right. We have that now with, our, with exactly. our iPhones. Exactly. And so, you know, that's what I was saying earlier, is that what we visualize in our future, we achieve. Right. And so you can look at science fiction today and warp drive and space travel and all this, and you it can imagine is, that we're going to... It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Right. We're going to get there. And we are getting there, and it is the next step in the evolution of humanity. You know, we learn to control electromagnetic fields to get to the point where we are today, and the next step is to learn to control gravitational fields. And until recently, we didn't know how gravity is actually um, produced by the universe, how gravity and what is mass. And these new equations that we are writing are starting to give us a bigger and deeper understanding of mass and gravity. And that leads to the technology of being able to control gravitational fields, bring our society, birth our society into a space colony and, you know, and beyond. Amazing, Nassim. So uh, let's end on that note. Uh, that was one of the uh, most mind-expanding conversations I've had, hopefully for you guys as well. Thank you so much for joining thank us here you. at Mind Valley. Uh, thank you for having me. And where can people find out more about your work? Um, they can go to um, Resonance, and we have a website there where we publish uh, daily uh, science news. They can participate in our course online at the Resonance Academy. And there's like 90 countries involved, thousands of students, and it's a lot of fun. Amazing. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Nassim. Thank, Thank you, you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed these ideas, why not dive into Mind Valley Spiritual Category? For the price of Mind Valley membership, which is less than a dollar a day, you get access to hundreds of the top programs in the world. And Mind Valley Spiritual Category is actually one of our biggest categories. You will learn from incredible spiritual teachers, the Reverend Michael Beckwith, Donna Eden, Jeffrey Allen, Christy Marie Sheldon, Marie Diamond all on one platform. And the best part about Mindvalley is, look, when I was getting started with personal growth, I remember buying individual courses for almost $249 to $500 a course. Mindvalley gives you 100 programs for the price you would have paid for one program just seven years ago. So go ahead and check it out at Mindvalley Membership.